0: As Jordan mentioned, we'll be in first Timothy chapter one, we'll be looking at Paul's greeting those first two verses. Um, I don't know if uh, Pastor Jordan maps out our, our, our sermons, the, all the elders have to approve kind of the path that we're, that we're on, but I don't know if it's a, a, a test uh, or what, but last time I preached was about a third of the old Testament, today's two verses. Um, there, I, I believe there's a sweet spot. There's some middle ground somewhere in between, but I haven't been assigned those lately. Um, I'm actually looking really forward to preaching these two verses um, today. Uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, there's so much content in two verses of Paul's greeting for a reason. And it's the focus of today's sermon. Here's the aim, that we, Would live gospel saturated lives. In two verses, Paul gives evidence of that, that he lives a life saturated with the gospel. So that's our aim today, that we would live gospel saturated lives. Let me read the text and then we'll pray again for the preaching of God's word today. Paul, An apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me pray. And then we'll dive into the text together. Father, we... Pray that you would open our eyes this morning to see wonderful things in your word. And Father, we pray that your gospel would come today, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I don't want to distract from the sermon or God's word, uh, but I do want to make a statement um, before we, we jump right in. I, I just heard myself say morning when I prayed, and I know that's become kind of a running joke. I've redefined the word morning for everybody to know. Morning is The time of day that we worship together at Grace Church. All right. So if you ever hear me say morning again, that's what I mean. It's the time of day that we gather for worship. All right. So if I say it three or four more times this sermon, I'm just going to keep going. Y'all know what I mean. Right. All right. Well, let me set that aside because I do want us to to get to the text. Jordan already mentioned the title of today's sermon is Gospel Greetings. Gospel Greetings. Greetings. Have you ever given thought to how you greet others? Have you ever considered how God would want you to greet other people? Have you ever given thought to that? Like how, why I greet people the way that I greet people? Do you see in how you greet other people that there's an issue of the heart at stake, at play? Or maybe the best way to communicate the question I want to answer today is, do you greet others from a heart motivated by the gospel? Do you greet others from a heart motivated by the gospel? There are all types of greetings that we exchange with one another all the time. I was super conscious of it today because I knew what the content of the sermon would be. And so, I spoke to several people on the way in. I watched other people speak to people. I was just all in tune to it because I knew the content of today's sermon. Some greetings are warm and welcoming. Some are just mindless and indifferent, and yet others can be abrupt or even sharp. Perhaps you're one of the blessed members who received a glorious side hug greeting from Rick Couples today. The kind of greeting that makes you feel loved and cared for. Maybe you were less fortunate, and on the way to our gathering today, you received the alarming greeting of a frustrated driver's vehicle horn, letting you know that he was giving you the type of greeting or she was giving you the type of greeting that makes you aware that they think you should be traveling faster in the slow lane than you're traveling at the current moment. Greetings happen all the time. In Paul's greetings throughout his 13 letters that he's written for us in the New Testament, he always identifies both the author or authors and the intended recipients. But but Paul does a lot more than just cover to whom and from whom the writings are for. Paul's greetings are distinctly gospel-drenched, Paul certainly sets the tone of his letters in his introduction. Listen to Paul's other letter gospel greeting introductions. And as I read these, I'm fixing to read all 13 of Paul's letters introductions. As I read these, listen for three particular elements. Paul's authority, his relationship to the recipient, and a word of blessing. Let me repeat them so you can follow along and listen as I read these. Paul's authority, his relationship to the recipient or recipients and a word of blessing. Now Jordan read as our call to worship today, Romans chapter one, one through four. He could have read five and six. They were as loaded as what he read and I'm gonna get verse seven in the mix. Romans 1.1 1, 1 says this, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, and I'll skip that rich content that Jordan read to us and I'll go straight to the other two pieces. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, verse seven, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the Church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians, Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Acacia. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Galatians, Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man but through Christ, excuse me, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the Ephesians he writes, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We may be picking up on those themes, right? Philippians, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who are at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God, our father. Thessalonians. These are almost identical. Thessalonians one and two. I'll read them both. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Then again, Thessalonians two, Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To Timothy, we'll go to, we'll go to chapter two, or excuse me, second Timothy, because first Timothy's our text. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Titus and Philemon are left. Here's Titus. He says, Paul, a bond servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. And then Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker and to Aphia, our sister and to Archippus, our fellow soldier and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 13 of Paul's letters, 13 very similar yet distinct, very similar greetings. As you listen to those 13 greetings, I hope you heard those three gospel elements gospel authority, gospel relationship, and gospel blessing. In those three elements that we want to look at more closely today, we want to see not just our ability to identify those elements that are present. Yeah, we can see where Paul gives his statement of authority, who he's writing to, and then this blessing. We don't just wanna be able to mentally identify those, though that certainly helps. But We also wanna understand each of those greetings more deeply and by God's grace, applaud, uh, excuse me, apply Paul's heart in our own interactions with one another. Perhaps you noticed in Paul's statement of gospel authority, that in nine of his 13 letters to the churches and their leaders, Paul communicates his apostleship. So nine out of the 13 letters, he mentions the fact that he's called as an apostle. And by apostleship, I mean a delegate, a a messenger, one who's sent forth with orders by God. Unique to the life and ministry, an eyewitness to the life and ministry of Jesus. Following Judas' betrayal of Jesus, Matthias was appointed to fill Judas's role as an apostle. So they went from 12 to 11, back to 12. And then Paul himself was called in an unusual manner on the road to Damascus as the final New Testament apostle. Now, others besides these 13 will perform apostolic tasks, things similar to what the apostles were called to, but it's not clear if they're ever recognized by the church as apostles. These are the only 13 that we know of according to scripture. But what we do know is Paul is recognized as an apostle, not just by God, but by the church. And it's in this apostleship that Paul seems very intent on mentioning in his salutation to Timothy and in other letters to add weight to what he writes. He says in Timothy, our text, according to the commandment of God, our savior. Now, this is the only time in all of his greetings that he uses that language. Usually it's by the will of God is the language that he uses. But in today's text, he says, according to the commandment of God, our savior, this is a calling by God's own doing. Paul's apostleship is by God's doing. It's God's will. God commanded that his apostleship be. Paul was not self-selected. He's not riding on his own authority. Paul is riding despite his weaknesses, despite his limitations, despite his unusual apostleship, He's writing to establish his God-ordained calling. He is the messenger writing on behalf of God, by God's design, for God's glory. Paul tells us more about his apostleship in other letters that he's written that we find here in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, it says this, and God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. So he's mentioning callings, giftings, Paul's apostleship is just one of many callings in God's kingdom. In first Corinthians chapter 15, he tells us this, listen to the language that he uses here for, I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul admits his weakness and sinful past, stating that he is the least of the apostles. In second Corinthians chapter 11, he makes an almost contradictory statement. Listen to what he says. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. Now, how could he make both statements? At first he says he's not fit, He's the least, and then he says, I'm second to none of these guys. None of them are more apostle than I'm apostle. What Paul's trying to communicate is he's no less apostle than anyone else that God's ever called, any more than I'm a believer, more than you're a believer. If God's called you to follow him, you follow him, right? We're all disciples. There's not the top disciple and the bottom disciple, we're disciples. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 says this, more information on Paul's apostleship. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. False apostles would arise and attempt to deceive God's people. These self-appointed apostles tend to rise up and cause divisions in the church. They tend to oppose God's established leadership by their own authority. They claim to be right. They claim to have heard from God. They claim to have authority given by God. But they stand alone as one who is fighting for what's right, yet apart from the church. And to identify these false apostles that Paul mentions here, all you have to do is follow the trail of authority. Who gave them authority? God gave Paul his. So where did they get their authority from? The church acknowledges Paul's authority. Who's acknowledging these false apostles' authority? All you have to do is follow the trail of authority. Who has given them authority? Which of God's established churches has affirmed that authority? And that's what Paul's making a case for. Perhaps the most helpful text in or concerning Paul's apostleship is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. He says this, I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been, comm- I should have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. He says a lot there. Though in and of himself, Paul, he says it, is a nobody, he has nonetheless been called by God to be an apostle. Paul's value to the kingdom is not in his inherent work, but his willingness to fulfill the call that God has given him and to do that to the fullest. Paul was a nobody. He wasn't any different than any other believer, except God called him to be an apostle. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6, more on Paul's apostleship. He says about his apostleship, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might've asserted our authority. See, Paul has authority over the church. And as an apostle, he could have asserted that, but in humility, Paul simply carries out his responsibilities for God's glory alone. He wasn't trying to please men. Ephesians chapter two tells us more. Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone of all those callings that God gives. Perhaps the best way to understand Paul's aim behind establishing his apostleship is to look at the other mainstay in Paul's self-identity. It's the fact that he views himself as a bondservant of Christ Jesus. When I read those 13 letter introductions, one of the phrases that came up right alongside his apostleship was a bondservant of Christ Jesus. That's how Paul viewed himself. Notice what Paul says in the latter half of verse one in today's text from first Timothy chapter one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. His apostleship is not just based on the commandment of God, our savior, but also it's of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Meaning his apostleship in the church is inseparably linked to his hope found in Christ Jesus. If not for the sinless life of Jesus, if not for the humble, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross of Jesus... If not for the hope that is found in the resurrection of Jesus, there would be no apostleship. There would be no church. There would be no salvation. So Paul's not finding his identity in his apostleship. He's finding his identity in Christ. Apostleship is just his calling in the kingdom of God. Paul's hope is in the gospel. Paul's hope is in Christ. And of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. There certainly is a piece of application here. Paul's identity is wrapped up in his salvation. He is first a child of God through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He is a servant of Christ, a bondservant of Christ. His identity is not in his apostleship. He has been called as an apostle. That is his role. That's his Commandment from God calling in the kingdom among the churches, but his identity is found entirely in Christ. And your identity is not in church membership, your identity is not in pastoral ministry or your ability to teach and explain scripture or being a lead musician or a Christian counselor or a deacon in the life of the church or any other thing that you might be called and even gifted to do. That is not your identity. Your identity is found in Christ, our hope. Paul is both stating his God-given authority in the things that he writes, but he's also admitting his God-given responsibility as a servant of Christ. So when he mentions apostleship, yes, it carries gospel authority with it but it also carries gospel responsibility. Paul's apostleship is an irreversible obligation to carry out the will of God in his life. And that is exactly what Paul is doing in his letters. And it's exactly what he did with his life. He's saying to you, I'm committed to God because he's called me to be an apostle. I'm responsible to carry out what he tells me to do. So it's not just authority but it's responsibility. Paul's communicating what his responsibility to the church is. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of God's grace. His apostleship, was to spread the gospel. His apostleship was to tell people about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's the responsibility that Paul wears. That's the weight of his apostleship. So that when he writes, he's writing with that mission in mind. He's writing with that aim in mind. He's not trying to be heavy handed. He's not trying to say, I'm an apostle, so you better listen to me. He's saying, God has called me to this work. Please listen. But it's not just establishing his God-given gospel authority, but he also strengthens his relationship with those to whom he writes in his introduction alone. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul's apostleship does not lead him into specific relationships. I said that backwards, Did I say not? Paul's apostleship does lead him into specific relationships in kingdom work. One such relationship is the basis of this entire letter. Paul is writing to Timothy as one whom he has made significant investment. Paul's not overstepping his bounds by calling Timothy my true child in the faith. Paul knows full well that God is the father of all who come to faith in him through Christ. There's only one father, Paul's fully aware of that. So when he says to Timothy, my true child in the faith, what Paul is doing is writing these words, is establishing his fatherly love for Timothy. He's talking about his relationship to Timothy. By taking on the godly role of a father in a younger man's life, Paul is exemplifying for us the kind of care and concern that we ought to cultivate for one another. This is the same care and concern obviously extends beyond one man to another. It's applicable to us today. It's applicable to godly women investing in younger ladies. Paul's love for Timothy was deep. There ought to be a shared intimate relationship among Christians. I can think of three men in the life of this church who are not pastors that have entered into the deep things of my heart. I'm thankful for their friendships. I'm thankful for their investment. I'm thankful for their ministry to me. These men know my pains. They know my fears. They know my sin struggles. They know my weaknesses. They know me. And they've extended care. I can expect that when I sit down to have lunch with them, we're not just going to talk about the weather or a sports event or some other non-gospel thing. I can expect in the course of that conversation that they will dig into my heart. They will ask questions. They will want to hear about the things in my life. The father-son terminology that Paul uses carries a similar idea as master and disciple. This relationship that Paul communicates is more than just a father and a child caring concern. It also includes an affirmation of the same beliefs. They are united in their theology and commitment to the church. So that when Paul writes to Timothy, this is not just a young man that he's invested in, that he's interested in, but this is somebody who shares his desire in ministry, who shares his understanding of the gospel, who desires to see the church grow and be sanctified. They are united in theology and commitment to the church. And yet this relationship goes further than care and the intellectual convictions that they share. They also share the same heart for God. They have a love for the same gospel, the redemptive work of Christ. It motivates them, their life is saturated by the reality of the gospel. Timothy is in every sense of the word, a true child in the faith. We ought also to pursue others in the faith on all these levels. We ought to foster genuine concern, excuse me, care and concern for one another. That ought to be happening in the life of the body. So the question is, who are you caring for? Who do you have deep concern for in the life of the body? If you're a man, can you name other men? If you're a woman, can you name other ladies? We also ought to aim at establishing strong biblical foundations with one another, helping each other grasp and understand God's word and to live upon sound theology. We ought to do what Paul does with Timothy. That ought to be especially true for the newly converted among us. We ought to reach out to them. It's hard to establish those strong biblical foundations if the person or people that you're trying to disciple don't feel loved and cared for. So you gotta have the first before you get to the second, but they're both necessary. And finally, we ought to seek to shepherd the hearts of one another in the life of the church. If the heart is not moved, if the heart is not being changed and transformed into Christ likeness, then the biblical understanding will soon crumble or be misused. I've seen it. People who dive into theology and study And yet they're not connected to the body. The heart is not being moved. And the next thing you know, this rising theologian is misusing God's word because his heart was never changed. If the heart is not being molded into Christ's likeness, then the care for one another will soon grow tired and weary and will grow cold and indifferent to one another. See, unless your life is saturated with the gospel, caring for other people becomes exhausting. You get tired of it and you stop. If your life is not saturated with the gospel because nobody has the capacity to care for other people apart from the love of Christ. We just simply don't have that bandwidth, not one of us. So if you can't say with Paul, My true child in the faith, or my true brother in the faith, or my true sister in the faith, then I must ask, what gospel relationships do you have? Can you make those kind of statements to other people? My true brother in the faith. Paul's relationship to Timothy is foundationally gospel drenched, and in practice, it's gospel oriented. I'm not sure of any other commonality that Paul and Timothy shared. Perhaps they were best buddies and they had everything in common. They like the same kind of fishing. They like to do all the same things, perhaps. But the Bible doesn't tell us about any commonality that Paul and Timothy share other than the gospel. Because that's what was at the core of their relationship. Paul establishes gospel authority by stating his apostleship. And he connects with The person who he writes to in gospel relationship. But I want you to see that he also sends gospel blessing. Let's finish the text to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And here it is, the gospel blessing unique to his two letters to Timothy. He says this grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. These are not words uncommon to our ears. If you listen to all 13 introductions that I gave, grace and peace were mentioned a whole lot. But mercy is unique to two letters. The two letters that Paul writes to Timothy. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. If we're not careful, we might become numb to the richness of their meaning. To conclude today's sermon, this last point before we get to application, let's simply remind ourselves of all the gospel loaded intent found in these three words. I'll be sharing some of my favorite quotes from various authors on these three attributes of God and they're part of the good news of Jesus toward us. You can't have grace, you can't have mercy and you can't have peace, not in their truest form, apart from the gospel. Somebody can show you grace, somebody can be merciful. You can have some sort of peace, but it's not true peace. It's not gospel peace. This is what some of my favorite authors say about God's grace. Grace is God's goodness directed toward human debt and demerit. It is by his grace that God imputes merit where none previously existed and declares no debt where one had been before. I love this statement. Paul never disassociates God's grace from God's crucified son. John chapter 1 verse 17, a text that I know a lot of people have memorized, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, wherever grace found any man, it was always by Jesus Christ. Here's one more, we can never know the enormity of our sin but what we can know is where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. May God bless you with his grace. Mercy is the goodness of God confronting human suffering and guilt. We who earned banishment shall enjoy communion. We who deserve the pains of hell shall know the bliss of heaven because of God's mercy. Mercy is an infinite and inexhaustible energy with the divine nature which disposes God to be actively compassionate. God is merciful as well as just. He doesn't have to set his justice aside to show us mercy, but listen to this next statement. He has always dealt in mercy with mankind and will always deal in justice when his mercy is despised. If we could remember that divine mercy is not a temporary mood, but an attribute of God's eternal being, we could no longer fear that it will someday cease to be. Mercy never began to be, but from eternity was. Forever his mercy stands, a boundless, overwhelming immensity of divine pity and compassion. May God bless you with his mercy and peace. Perhaps one of my favorite verses in all of scripture concerning God's peace, Philippians chapter four, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is the type of peace that Paul is blessing Timothy with. Peace that goes beyond what we can comprehend. An inexplicable peace that we get from faith in Christ Jesus. Peace that guards our hearts from being trampled and peace that guards our minds from being assailed. Peace that doesn't change our difficulties or circumstances but is gained being inseparably linked to our hope or by being inseparably linked to our hope. The gospel of Jesus. Peace that provides rest in the certain hope of God that he is for us and that he will keep us. That's peace. Peace that reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus. The power of God again to keep us and the promise of the Helper to be with us. One of my favorite poems is on the subject of peace. I want to read it before we have a short piece of application. This is what it says. A rest wherein all discords cease and tranquil joys with love increase. A concord of God's will and mind, where he bears rule and I resign, cessation of all worldly strife, the product of a holy life. A conscience like the cloudless sky, when to the west the sun draws nigh, and streams of golden glory cast without a shadow on the past. For all my wrongs, though like a flood, were swallowed up in Jesus' blood. O peace sweet peace, serene and mild, without a single sin beguiled, allaying sorrows, soothing pains, and making all the losses gains. Sweet thy temper, calm thy voice. Of blessings all, thou art my choice. May God bless you with his peace. In closing, I wanna take us back to a series of questions that I asked at the very beginning of the sermon. Have you ever given thought to how you greet others? Have you ever considered how God would want you to greet others? Do you see how you greet others as a heart issue? Or maybe the best way to communicate that question that we tried to answer today is this. Do you greet others from a heart motivated by the gospel, saturated by the gospel? See, the goal is not to change my greeting by adding the words, grace, mercy, and peace. You can use those in every conversation that you have and nothing will change. The goal is not to add those words or even a smile when you say hello. The goal is to be so enamored with Christ and his gospel the way that Paul was that your life is spent for his glory. And when you live life that way, then even the smallest thing, like a greeting, becomes saturated with the gospel too. The goal is to be so enamored with Christ, our hope, that your identity, your meditations, and your mission in life are wrapped up in the gospel. Then and only then will I and you, like Paul, live a life saturated with gospel gent's greetings to those around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are those gospel blessings that Paul extends to Timothy. You are full of grace. There's no such thing as grace that can't be defined or could be defined apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is your grace to us. Father, you are merciful and you are our peace. Father, I pray that we would would know those attributes not just to be true of you, but tangibly how they're true of you. They're true in Christ. And Father, I pray that we wouldn't be able to look upon Christ and not consider the gospel, his death, his resurrection, his grace to us, the mercy displayed and the peace that is gained through faith in Christ. Father, I pray that our lives would be like Paul's, saturated with the gospel so that every detail of life, including how we greet one another, is drenched in the gospel. Father, do this good work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.